This morning, I'm going to start a new sermon series. Uh, and it's a sermon series that will focus on Nehemiah. Nehemiah, really one of the truly great heroes in the Bible. Uh, and so as we do this, God has a number of lessons, I think, that he wants to speak to us about. This is a sermon series that will probably go several weeks. I'm still writing it uh, as I speak now, but God has really moved on my heart in this regard. Um, and so what you need to understand here is that God burdened the heart of Nehemiah to move forward and go back and rebuild the wall in Jerusalem. Now, he did this in the year 444 B.C. Now, you need a little bit of a history background to understand what's going on here. The Babylonian Empire came in and conquered uh, Israel in 589 B.C. And when they did, uh, they effectively destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the walls, destroyed the temple, uh, removed the Ark of the Covenant, where after that they never really knew where it went, even to this day. Uh, and effectively then took the brightest, the best and the brightest from Israel and brought them into Babylon. Uh, those people included Daniel, it included Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, it included many other talented people, and they were removed uh, from Israel uh, into Babylon. And so now that, re that was done because God had put his judgment on Israel. God had indicated for hundreds of years, hundreds of years, that he would punish Israel, that he would destroy Israel, that he would destroy the walls and the temple uh, for their disobedience and for idolatry. And so because of that, uh, they were disobedient, didn't move forward, and so now God moves against them. And so what happens now from 589 B.C. for a period of about 150 years, you see, uh, Jerusalem lies in destruction. The walls are not rebuilt. They, they first allowed some of the Jews to go back after a period of 70 years, but that remnant that went back never really rebuilt the walls. The walls remained in shambles. And so uh, Jerusalem and Israel was subject to constant attack. And so Nehemiah was burdened by this. He had spoken to his brother who had gone back to see it and told him about, about this. And so it had really burdened him, bothered him. Uh, and we're going to talk about what happens when God burdens your heart. Because you see, this is how God works for us. He burdens you. The Holy Spirit convicts you. And we're going to talk about what that means and how to respond to that. And so as I, as I put this sermon together... Um, the, the, the foci of the sermon is that in three general areas, as I would say. First, it's the judgment of God for disobedience. The judgment of God for disobedience on a people, on a religion, on a denomination, and even on a church. You understand? This is serious. God's judgment comes down on all of us. It comes down to us individually as people of God, but it even comes down on a greater way uh, on us as a church uh, and, us, and uh, really on a denomination that, that is not serving God. And so I'd ask you to pray about this as you reflect about what this is. And then the second focus that I want you to, to realize here 
is the responsibility for repentance of the people. Because you see, when Nehemiah was burdened, he just didn't get on a horse and go back. He actually begged God to forgive him, to forgive the people, to forgive Israel, to forgive them for all the sins that they had done. And so what I would say to you is this, that the only way that the judgment of God can be removed from our lives is first with repentance. Now, you don't hear this preached in churches anymore. You know, what you hear today is, let's get around the campfire. Let's break out the marshmallows. Somebody sing Kumbaya. We're all going to heaven, right? We're all going to heaven. Well, guess what? We're not all going to heaven, all right? And it's my responsibility to preach the word of God to convict you. And the convicting power of the Holy Spirit today speaks to me about repentance. Repentance, meaning, God, I've sinned. God, I've done the wrong thing. Lord, forgive me. And so you're going to see this with Nehemiah in the most powerful way. So if you want to be used by God, if you have a burden for the work of God, uh, even as that burden is on you, you need to be able to get into the mode of repentance uh, and asking God to forgive us. And then, and then we see the wonderful leadership qualities of this hero, of this great man, who would leave the palace, who would leave the comforts of everything he had, who would lead it and go back into a desolate empire because God had burdened him to rebuild it. What a powerful story this is. What an example for us that when God calls us, we move forward. And so I hope this will, will touch your heart. And so if you have your Bible, start with looking at Nehemiah 1, uh, verses 1 to 11. And we're going to read a few verses this morning because we need to. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, and this is where I want you to see how the burden of God touches our heart where we repent. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keeps his commandment. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. And by the way, he hadn't been alive when, when the diaspora started, when the exile started. He hadn't been alive. That was about 200 years before him. And yet you see the convicting power of the Holy Spirit on him where he's confessing even then his personal sin, recognizing that he couldn't cut his sin off from the sins of the people, that even his sins to that day were tied into the very sins of Israel. That's the kind of man and woman God wants us to be. Um, and then he says, we have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant, Moses. 
Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant to success today by granting him favor in the presence of, of this man. I was the cupbearer to the king. And let's understand what that means, the cupbearer to the king. It was one of the most trusted positions you could have. You effectively tasted everything that the king tasted before he did uh, to make sure it wasn't poisonous. You were his most trusted, loyal ally. You were right there next to him every step of the way. And think about the greatness of God that he would allow a Jew to be in that exalted position in the Persian Empire at this point because Babylon had been controlled now and run over by Persia. And Xerxes was the, was the uh, king. And here is this cupbearer, this Jew, right next to this foreign king. It's amazing. Now, God had promised Israel that if they would obey him, he would pour blessing and blessing into their lives. And he did. He removed them from Egypt. He put them into the promised land. Uh, their crops and their fields and their livestock all prospered in so many ways. But then look at Deuteronomy 28. Um, and this is the warning that was given to the Jewish people uh, right there uh, 40 years or so after they came out of Egypt. Uh, and God said through Moses, if you do not carefully follow all the words of this law, which are written in this book, and do not revere this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, you can underline that, do not revere the name of the Lord your God, as the Lord will send fearful plagues on you and your descendants, harsh and prolonged disasters and severe and lingering illnesses. He will bring on you all the diseases of Egypt that you dreaded, and they will cling to you. The Lord will also bring on you every kind of sickness and disaster not recorded in this book of the law until you are destroyed, as you who were as numerous as the stars in the sky will be left but few in number because you did not obey the Lord your God. What a powerful message this is from God. And it resonates to me today, right down to us, as God is warning us. When you stand and you read the news, when you see what's going on in Washington, D.C., when every day you can't stand to turn on television or pick up a newspaper, and you see the morality of this country devolving and devolving and going downhill, don't you think God stands there waiting in judgment? Really? Do you think that we are so blessed we're more blessed, we're more revered than the people, the chosen people of God. Please, people, understand why God wants us to be in prayer uh, and, and how you see how God waits patiently hundreds and hundreds of years. You know, that, that prayer that I just read to you, that warning was given really in the year about 1,200 or so. Uh, and what you see, it took 600 years for God to wait 
until finally the hammer came down on the Jewish people. 600 years, all right? God waits, and he waits, but he doesn't forget. Uh, and so it's important to him. He even gave Solomon a warning, and so this is now a 1,000 years before Christ would be born. And he warned Solomon that if Solomon did not obey him, God would take away his power and position as king. He would remove him. This is Solomon, uh, David's son. And in Kings chapter 9, we read there, Solomon had finished building the building in the temple of the Lord, and it achieved all he had desired to do. But then the Lord appeared to him at a second time. The Lord warned him what would happen if he did not follow God, did not live up to his expectations. And there he says in verse 3, in Kings chapter 9, verse 3, I have heard the prayer and plea you've put before me. I have consecrated this temple, which you have built by putting my name there forever. Let's understand there. God is consecrating the temple. But don't think that everything depends on the temple. You'll see here how God will repudiate the temple. It's not about a building. It's about God. Let's understand that. My eyes and my heart will always be there. As for you, if you walk before me faithfully with integrity of heart and uprightness, as David your father did, and do all I command, and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised David your father. But, 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 if you and your descendants turn away from me and do not observe the commands and decrees I have given you and go off to serve other gods and worship them. And by the way, other gods today is not a little god you're going to put on your dashboard. Okay? That's not the little god he's talking about. He's talking about recreation, about vacation, about homes, about money, about affluence, about power, sometimes about family, about all the other little gods in your life that take your focus away from the sovereign God, from the one almighty. I will then cut off Israel from the land. God doesn't fool around, folks. I will cut off Israel from the land I have given them, and I will reject this temple. Oh, God, you will reject the temple? We built it for you. I will reject the temple. That's how powerful this message is. That's how powerful God looks at obedience and submission. Israel will then become a byword and an object of ridicule among all peoples. The temple will become, how about this, a heap of rubble. A heap of rubble. And you know, the Jews never got it through their heads because after they went back and rebuilt Jerusalem, and then, you know, about 100 B.C. or so, they began to rebuild the temple again. Now, even in the more glorious way, the temple was one of the seven wonders of the world, right? Every Jew would look at pride on that temple. And now the Messiah, Jesus Christ, God Almighty, comes back and walks into Jerusalem, and they reject him, and they crucify him. And Jesus said that one stone would be left on another. And in fact, you know, and in 70 AD, 40 years after Jesus would be crucified, not one stone on that temple would be left standing. A heap of rubble, just as God had forecasted uh, to Solomon. Uh, and so he said there, people will answer, why has God done this? 
And he said that because they have forsaken the Lord their God and brought their ancestors out of Egypt and embraced other gods. God demands obedience. God demands submission. God demands repentance. And when that doesn't happen, the curtain falls down. The curtain falls down. I'm sorry to say it. It pains my heart to say it. And so really, you see this as a result of the sins of Solomon, all right, particularly by bringing in foreign wives and inculcating foreign cultures, the kingdom was split. The northern kingdom was split from the southern kingdom, and eventually Babylon came in, conquered Israel, destroyed Israel, destroyed the temple, carted off the Jews, and so they sat for several hundred years in exile, several hundred years. Uh, And so Nehemiah now, as an exile, as an exile in Babylon, now rises to prominence. Why? Because God foreordained it. He was God's man. And God chooses to use who God chooses. And so he was serving the king Artaxerxes as his personal cupbearer. Uh, and, and so only through the blessing of God would a Jew find himself in this position. And so someone would have to be both wise and discreet and loyal to get to this position. God recognized Nehemiah was the man. And we're going to see what a great man, what a great biblical leader Nehemiah is. Now, here's what I want you to understand about Nehemiah. He was not a pastor. He was not a preacher. He was not a rabbi. He was not a Bible teacher. He was a cupbearer, meaning he was a regular guy who God saw and said, this is a man I can use. This should resonate in your heart. You don't have to be some great preacher or great some biblical leader. If God wants to use you, he will find you where you are and anoint you where you are. This goes right through this church. I hope everybody in this church is listening to this, especially as we have now anointed a number of new ministries. Uh, he, he was a cupbearer, and God saw that and decided to use that position. Uh, The lesson here is that when God burdens us to do something, we cannot remain in the status quo. Let me repeat that. When God burdens your heart to do something for the work of God, and I commend you, brother, you can't just sit in your chair and let it go. I'll let it pass. I'll let somebody else take it. You can't do it because what you're going to find in the way of the Lord is that if you do not accept the call of God on your life, someone else will get the call. Don't think, as some people do, well, if I don't do it, it's just not going to get done. Oh, no, man. It's God. You think God's going to wait for you? He's going to give you every opportunity to serve him. But then at some point in time, the curtain will come down. So I'm going to say to you now that I know that there are people in this church right now who have been burdened for the work of God. I know that there are. I feel it through the Spirit. And I want to say to you, you need to move forward in that regard. If God is touching your heart in ministry, you need to think about this because God wants you to move. Uh, And so here he is, burdened and crying and weeping because of what he knew went on in in Jerusalem. Uh, And he mourned 
and fasted and prayed for four months. Four months. Think about it. Four months of prayer and mourning and fasting. Uh, asking God to do something about the deplorable conditions. And finally, God does. <clears throat> God touches his heart and compels him to go and speak to the king. Now think about what that took. I'm going to go to the king and I'm going to tell him that I want to go back to Jerusalem, the very place where his people had destroyed, and I want to go back and rebuild the wall. I want to rebuild the, the city. I want to make Jerusalem safe. And so what we see here, we see that as he did this, he is exhibiting the godly characteristics of courage, selflessness, godliness, dedication, uh, and persevering. He was willing to give up the luxury of the palace to go back and live in squalor because that's what Jerusalem was. It was squalor. But he was willing to do that because God had put it on his heart to do it. Uh, and in this way, really, he was a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. Because really, that's what Jesus would do. Jesus would give up the, the kingdom of heaven, where he sat as a sovereign king of the universe, and would come to this world to take shape as a human being and eventually be sacrificed as he lived with us. Because he loved us and cared for us in such, so many ways. Uh, and so while he was a man of action, he was also a man of prayer. And let me make that prayer for you as a church. May God make each one of you men and women of action and prayer. Yes, I want you to pray. Yes, I want you to seek the will of God. But I also want you at some point to move forward and act. And I will commend again so many of you in this church who are moving forward on various fronts in ministry. That's what God wants you to do. You had the burden on your heart, now you're moving forward uh, in his way. And so he trusted God despite the fact that he would be slandered. He would be a you, he would be, deceit, be, be given deceit. Uh, he would be persecuted. He would receive all of that. And yet Nehemiah would still look to serve God. Uh, and so here's the point. We all would like some kind of ministry, all of us. And the lesson here is that the, the ministry may be right in front of you. It may be right in front of you. It may be right part of your current life. Uh, and that's how God works. And so open our eyes, Lord. Let us see this. This is a wonderful example to me of how God uses us in ministry. First, it becomes a burden. We see a need. Our heart hurts. We are burdened for that need. Uh, and then, then as we see that need, what, we, what do we need to do? We need to pray and fast and mourn. Lord, I'm disturbed by this. Lord, I can't let this go by. Lord, you need to fix this. Lord, you need to give your attention to this. Uh, and asking God to do something about this deplorable condition. I've told this story before, but it's uh, apropos at this point in this sermon. And that was when years ago I sat in, in our prior church and I saw a woman get up uh, on a day that she was presenting her five, five children, but they weren't her children or four children. Rather, they were grandchildren from the age of 18 months to the age of nine. And I said to myself, that's, that's weird. Why would a grandmother be doing this? And there was no family with her, no one there. Uh, and I 
all night long after that. Sunday night, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't sleep. Why? Because God had grabbed my heart and convicted me. And so I'd been filled with a burden. So the next day, I called the church and said, what's the story? Well, it's a sad story. Uh, her son, uh, they all lived, all these six, eight people lived in a 600-square-foot trailer, a dilapidated trailer. Uh, and the uh, son was mentally deranged. He got up one morning, and he killed his wife. And then he killed himself. And their bodies lied lay really in the driveway outside the trailer for eight hours, all right, as the medical examiners came. And these four young children are all witnesses to this. And so I said, well, what are we doing? We can't let people live in a crime scene. Well, what can we do? What can we do? That's the answer. That's the answer from the church. What can we do? Well, I knew immediately that God had called me to be the leader of an effort to change that. I went back into our Bible group that day. That very day, I didn't have a plan. I had just prayed about it, and I said, I believe God has called us, has called us to raise the money to buy a home to put this woman and the four children in a house so that they can live in the proper way. And I have to say, over the next three months, three months, would you, those Bible groups and my Monday morning group came together and we raised hundreds of thousands of dollars and bought a home for that woman, furnished it completely, and moved that ki those kids in. And today, those kids are living godly lives, going to church uh, because God had touched the heart of the people. Amen, church? Amen? That's what this message is about, you see. That's what this message is about, having the burden put on your heart and then moving forward, not sitting there waiting for the status quo, loving the people of God that says, what can we do? This is what we can do. This is what we can do. And so Nehemiah gets the, gets the permission to go back. Can you imagine? Uh, here he is. Xerxes gives Nehemiah the ability to go back he gives him the lumber to go back. He gives him manpower to go back with him to protect him. Uh, and he goes back. And Nehemiah knew, you see, Nehemiah knew <clears throat> that when he had asked Xerxes for that permission, he was well aware of Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17, which says, Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Nothing is too hard for you. Uh, this refers to the sovereignty and glory of God. I want us to remember this, that we're serving the creator of the universe, the God of the universe. We have marginalized him so many ways, but we have to recognize this. And, and you see, is when, when Nehemiah made this prayer, it was the same prayer that Daniel had made, the same prayer that Daniel had made that God answered. Uh, and so Nehemiah said in his prayer, and I, know, I wrote this down, I confess, and three times he said, we confess. I confess. My family confesses. We confess. Not once, but three times. Lord, hear my prayer. I'm brokenhearted. We have broken your will. And he placed himself and Israel in a submissive attitude before God. 
calling himself God's servant and waiting for God to anoint him for ministry. And so what a powerful message this is. He was well aware of the fact that God had indicated that if the Jewish people did not bow and serve him, that he would disperse them. It wouldn't come as a surprise. This is what would happen. You'll be all over the world. Nobody will remember who you are. There'll be no temple. There'll be no Jerusalem. And so you see this. But God promised that if they obeyed him, if their hearts were, were warm toward God and forgiveness, God would remember them. He'd bring them back. He'd bring them back to serve again, which he did. And so, humanly speaking, Nehemiah understood that there was only one human person who had the authority to allow him to go back. And that was Xerxes. He was the only one. And so he needed to have the heart of the king touched. And God did it. He touched the heart of the king. And so here's the point that what we have to understand here as we begin to study Nehemiah, and we're going to study him over the next few weeks, how he serves God and how it's not easy. All right? There's going to be enemies. There's going to be problems. There's going to be obstacles. I don't want you to think, well, once I'm serving God, there's going to be a parade. People are going to affirm me. The banners are going to come out. You're great, John. You're doing great work. No, it doesn't work like that. You understand? The enemies of God want to bury you. And they tried to do that with Nehemiah. Uh, but he understood the power of confession the power of repentance, the power of bowing before the will of God in every way, recognizing the power of sin. If God is going to use us, if God is going to use us to alleviate any great need in this world, we need to focus on the fact that the, the key problem is human sin. The key problem is human sin. But it's not just the sin of others. Don't go thinking about, you know, it's just the sin of others. It's our sin also. We're joined also. It's not just the American people. You're part of that problem. And so as you pray for America, you better start praying for yourself first because you recognize where this could be headed uh, as we have to humble ourselves before God. Uh, we who are sinners need really need to have to bow before God and show mercy even to other sinners. We have to pray for people that they, be, that they bow their needs before God. The root need today in this world, in all churches, in all denominations, is for repentance on the part of God's people who have forgotten, you see, who have forgotten God's purpose and are lying about their own purposes. Really, it's repentance. Lost people need repentance so that they can become re re reconciled to God. And that's the burden that I have on my heart today. That's the message that I think God wants to give you as a church. Nehemiah's burden stemmed, really stemmed from feeling the great need of the people. He saw that they were lost. He saw that they were covered in sin. He saw what was going to be needed in order to go back, and it required confession first, confession first, followed by repentance. God's purpose involved his name and sovereignty in Jerusalem. 
And in order to bring his glory back to Jerusalem and to be a part of it, this is what would have to take place. Now, another lesson here in this passage uh, is that the person God uses has to have a commitment to his purpose. Let's understand this. Nehemiah didn't say when his brother came back with the message about how bad Jerusalem was, oh, gee whiz, that's too bad. I feel bad. Where are we going for lunch? Is that how we act? When we hear that the things of God are going downhill, is that what we think? Let's uh, let Joe do it. Let Sally do it. Is that what, you, is that what we think? Because the message here today says everything opposite that. What it says is that when you hear this and become burdened by it, you become committed to step out for the Lord and to be a soldier for God and to commit yourself to answer to these things. And so what you're going to see is difficulty after difficulty after difficulty put before Nehemiah, and yet he would follow straightway and not be disturbed. He would walk with God. He would be a leader for God. He would take the people of God as their leader and give them a purpose for their serving God in every way, and they would have a glorious end. And so this becomes important for us. He didn't care about status. He didn't care about position. He didn't care about how good his house was going to be or that he was leaving the, the palace of Xerxes, all he knew was that God had called him to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, to rebuild the sovereignty of God, to demonstrate to a lost world that this is how God wants us to walk with him. Amen, church? Let's bow before his name. Father, I thank you, Lord Jesus, for the example of Nehemiah. Lord, what a powerful man what an example to us today of how we don't have to be preachers or pastors or Bible teachers or even missionaries, but if we're called to serve you, God, you will raise us up. You will select us. You will pour your heart into us. If we bow in submission, if we ask for repentance, if we confess our sins, you will forgive us as you did the entire people of Israel and brought them back to Jerusalem, Father, to rebuild the walls, to rebuild the temple, and yes, to give them another chance. Father, let this message resonate with us today in every way of our lives. Bless our people, keep them safe, and bring them back next week to continue our worship as we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.